Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is the man behind Bohan Reviews, Brett Bohan. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good now. Uh, <laughs> hopefully all of the technical difficulties are behind us. Yeah, really hoping so that we are here and it is now just going to be pristine audio quality so that you can listen to us talk about an amazing film that is just the peak of cinema. This week, we will be discussing the latest theatrical film to be regulated to streaming services due to the global pandemic. So this time from Walt Disney Studios, we get the YA novel adaptation, Artemis Fowl. So as usual, we'll warm up with a spoiler-free review of the film, and then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, as always, we'll finish with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl, a young criminal prodigy, hunts down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father. Artemis Fowl stars Ferdia Shaw, Laura McDonnell, and Josh Gad. It is written by Connor McPherson and Hamish McColl, and it is directed by Kenneth Branagh. Hello? Your family has taken something of great value from us. Return it to me or I will destroy everything you love. You weren't supposed to see this yet. Your father is in a complicated profession. For years, he has protected powerful secrets that have kept mankind safe from the dangers of another world. It's time to face your destiny. Oh, look around. This is what they call greatness. But we are not alone in this. Mulch Diggums, just a talented giant dwarf. And I'm Holly Short, your ally on the other side. It's real. All right, save my father, save the world. Hold team ready, tell them we are dead. So, Brett, Artemis Fowl is a beloved book series written by Ian Colfer. Uh, the film has been in development, hell, almost as long as the book was released, uh, which was in 2000. It was originally, quote unquote, scheduled for uh, a release in August 9th of 2019, but then it was delayed to May 29th of 2020. And then, of course, due to the coronavirus, the film was pushed back another time, this time for a Disney Plus release on June 12th of 2020. So finally, after 20 long years, we got to see Artemis Fowl. Um, this film has a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, which makes it easily the lowest film that I've reviewed for a podcast. Uh, so with that in mind, Brett, what were you expecting from this film going into it? Um, I don't really know, to be honest, <laughs> what I was expecting from this film. I think that my original novels that I had for this um, said soon to be a major motion picture. And I read these, you know, all the way back when they came out in like 2001, 2002. And then it just didn't ever happen. And so I don't know. I think I eventually came to this conclusion that Artemis Fowl was just never going to be a movie. Um, and now that it is, I didn't really care anymore. So uh, <laughs> I don't know that I had um particular expectations but given how horrible its development process has been uh it wasn't expecting a lot so did it live up to those low expectations like what are your, were your thoughts on this film 
I actually watched this three times, which, uh, Holy shit. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> not because it was good, obviously, because it's not good. I think, I don't know that anyone thinks this is good other than Arl Stein. Uh, but <laughs> it was just, I, everyone had this visceral reaction where they hated this to their core and I didn't have that same reaction and I wanted to know why. So that's why I watched it as often as I did. But like, it's a bad movie and I didn't like it, but I also didn't have this just passionate hatred for it either. I mean, I wouldn't say that I hated this movie, but I found this movie to just be absolutely bizarre and its execution in every aspect of it as a film. It just doesn't work. And you know, I mean, I certainly won't watch this movie again, so props to you for doing that. <laughs> Not only a second time, but also a third time. But I think this movie is an interesting watch just because it almost helps you understand what you expect and what you need from a movie for it to technically count as a movie. Because I feel like this film just has nothing to it. It's, you know, it's almost like a single act of a, a three-part, you know, a three-act movie. And I guess... I think this movie is just baffling for me because it seems like it's broken at this structural level. Like there are tons of things that are wrong with this on a level where you have to kind of acknowledge the fact that it is a film for you to have those criticisms. So like, you know, I don't think Artemis Fowl is a very likable character in this and there's a really shitty MacGuffin and all of these things. But something about the way the film is executed just feels like it's not a film. Yeah, I would agree with pretty much everything that you said. I don't like watching it every time I was trying to figure out why I didn't hate it like everybody else does because I think you're right there is literally nothing about this film that actually works like I tried to watch it scene by scene and like every single scene is just shoddy dialogue or it, it doesn't make sense in context with the film or what have you and then uh you know at the same time I almost feel like this it was in development so long and it almost feels like these writers were given notes from the studio and notes from the director and notes from just a whole bunch of different places. And this script just mutated mm -hmm. over the course of this process to the point where it didn't resemble anything anymore. Um, and so that's what I hope at least happened with this, because even if you look at the trailers, there are scenes that are in that trailer that didn't make the cut of the movie. <laughs> In a lot of ways, this movie feels like the first part of a movie that should be at least another 45 minutes long. Like, um, I mean, I, I guess we can get into spoilers here in a little bit and talk about more specifically what's going on with what you would call the plot of this movie, I guess. But really, this movie takes place in a single location, more or less in real time. Uh, I mean, the movie's only like 90 minutes or whatever, but it feels like this whole movie should be the introduction to what the actual plot of this movie is about but it ends up kind of just just going on and then there's this like i said this macguffin called aesop or something I, <laughs> yeah i don't even know what it is that uh, i think it's the aculos aculos uh, thank it's, you <laughs> uh, that's not even so i reread the book before i watched the movie and uh then i ended up reading the rest of the series and it's not in any of the books. Really? So, yeah, I don't I don't know what the why they introduced to that, but 
Yeah. So first off, I am really excited that I got a guest that did his research and uh, is much more prepared for this podcast than I am. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so what do you think made the novels so popular in the first place? And what, if anything, is reflected in the movie from the novels? That's an interesting question, because going back through and reading it, I feel like the books are sort of targeted at a very weird age group. Um, and I, I never finished the series when I read it uh, the first time around, uh, because going back and rereading it now, I realized that I'd grown out of it. And these book series are, or this book series is sort of like the reading level is a little higher, but the content is a little lower. So I feel like you have to meet a certain age group and that only lasts for so long. So it's interesting to me that these books were as popular as they were for that reason. And I also think that there's some weird tonal things about it. But what I will say about the books that is completely absent in the movie is the books were really clever. And there was like in the movie, Artemis's plan is just stupid. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, but like in the book, it all makes sense. And it's sort of got this heist movie feel to it. And I think the books are cinematic in a way. And that's why it's so baffling that this movie doesn't work at all. Like they have this heist feel where you slowly get this reveal of this master plan. Mm -hmm. And once everything's explained to you at the end, it all makes sense. And it all seems like it was a smart plan. And Artemis being a genius actually makes sense. But that doesn't happen in the movie. And it's interesting because if you look at the movie in terms of its plot structure versus the book, they're actually fairly similar, but it's like the movie took all of the smart things that the book does and took them out. So when you say that uh, it's similar in structure, do you mean similar in structure to the first book? Like is the first book this kind of kidnapping and holding hostage situation that's similar to the movie? Yes, it is. Uh, and it follows the similar structure, but like the motivations are entirely different. So you, you mentioned that Artemis Fowl in the books is this smart kid um, or, you know, like a child prodigy and, and a genius and how that's not really reflected in the film. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you that there's something just very wrong about this kid in a way that's almost incomprehensible. I don't know if it is the actor or if it is how the actor was told to act, but this kid is just so empty. He is a lifeless character, not so much an empty vessel where the audience is meant to kind of feel their presence in the character by kind of substituting themselves as Artemis Fowl. He just exudes no sense of emotion or personality or character whatsoever. Yeah, I think that a decent amount of that probably does come down to this performance because I do think this is one of the worst child performances I've seen, especially after <laughs> last year where we got, you know, Roman Griffin Davis and Jojo Rabbit and Julia Butters and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we had all of these great child performances last year. And then, you know, Artemis Fowl is, he's just not good. And uh, it doesn't help. Like the script is terrible. And I don't know, like, that a good actor could have worked around it. But I do think beyond just the actor that this character is wildly inconsistent in how he's presented. And 
sometimes we get like this character who's supposed to come across as like this cold analytical person who doesn't care about anyone or anything. And then there are also scenes where he's supposed to come across as someone that we can relate to, I guess. And I just don't think it ever connects with that, either of those. And we end up getting a character that we can't, can, we can't relate to in any way. We can't, we can't relate to him as a villain and we can't relate to him as the hero of the story either. That's a good point. My, my understanding of the f- books is that he kind of is this sort of almost villainous character, like a conniving genius that you almost respect, even if you're not, you know, like you're, you're on his side because he's so good at what he does. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that it's almost like the Oceans movies where they're they're robbing somebody, but you kind of are rooting for them because you and you appreciate the skill. But I would also say that Holly's character in the book is almost the protagonist of the first okay. book. And so her role is sort of larger in the book and, and we get her sort of almost the protagonist with Artemis being the villain. And I think that worked better. Yeah, I wonder how much of the fact that this movie just doesn't do anything or work at all is this conflict maybe between having Artemis be a villain and also having him be a more traditional, stereotypical um, protagonist. Yeah, that's it's almost kind of why I think that the studio, it feels like studio meddling in some ways because it does kind of feel like this character wasn't supposed to be the character that we got in the movie, but it was like there was some sort of mandate to make him more likable and mm-hmm. it didn't work. The weirdest thing about the movie though, to me is that Artemis Fowl isn't even really in the movie that much. And as I say that I feel weird for saying that because I don't know who is in the movie much, but it feels like after watching this movie, for 95 minutes or however long it is, I can't think of a single scene where anybody actually does anything except for the Josh Gad character, which we can get to in a second because he's all over yeah. the place. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair. Now that I'm thinking about that, it, it doesn't, you're right, this film doesn't have a focus. There's no, there's no one that it follows for extended periods of time, so... Yeah, and I feel like a lot of films, when they don't work, they at least have this sort of very tiny blueprint or some sort of backbone that, as an audience member, you can kind of cling on to and understand just from a film perspective that even if the things that the characters aren't are doing don't make sense for you know whatever logic is in the world or whatever logic that we use as people in our lives— you can still understand that certain actions that the characters are making are advancing the plot and literally moving the movie to the end of whatever story it's telling. But in this film, it feels like anything that anybody does, I have no idea what that's actually doing to get us anywhere in the movie itself. Like an hour into this movie, I have no idea what act of the movie I'm in. Uh, I have no idea who the main players are. I have no idea what the goal of each of these people are other than there is this weird looking egg thing. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I don't, I just, I think it's so weird for the film to be so structurally similar to the book and also fail to have the coherence of the book at the same time. It's just like they completely lost 
the integrity of it. They lost any sort of idea of what the book was doing. <laughs> the other crazy thing is that 90% of this movie is exposition from the Mulch Diggums <laughs> character, and somehow I don't know anything about it. You know, like, <laughs> you would think that there's a lot of people just telling you things. Um, they introduce this leprechaun thing. They introduce the underground world. They introduce that magic exists and fairies and blah, blah, blah. But I don't actually know anything, not even at a surface level about this movie. And I mean, you can tell me that that's because I haven't watched it three times. Maybe you know a little bit more than I do. But um, it's just, yeah, it's super weird that this movie is simultaneously so much exposition, but also as audience members, not only do we not care, we just literally don't understand what's happening. Yeah, it's bizarre because it almost feels like it, it is really expository, but at the same time, it, it also almost feels like they chose the wrong things to explain. Yes. Like, there's so much in this movie that doesn't make any sense. And like, if you have a background in the book, like it makes maybe a little bit more sense, but it contradicts the book so often that even then it doesn't make sense. So I just, I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. But. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, it's, it's, as we've said, it's not a good movie. I, I definitely wouldn't recommend this. Is there anything good that you want to harp on before we hop into some more specifics and spoilers? Um, so what I will say is I think that this film introduces some elements that don't exist in the book. So like the book almost feels more like a one-off and this one sets up for a sequel. And obviously the book spawned eight more books after it. Uh, and so I think that that's maybe the only positive that I can draw from this is that there's the possibility for something better to come in the future. Um, <laughs> and they set up for that. And I think that was something that sort of worked. But even to that point, I think they overplay it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little embarrassing almost that this movie thinks that it did a good job to be able to set up a sequel. Like, there's no way a sequel gets made to this. But hypothetically, in a world where this movie came into theaters, it made $100 million, um, we don't have COVID in this reality, would you watch a sequel to this? Oh, that's a good question. The answer is probably no. I think that maybe the series would work better animated than live action but oh. i did go back to percy jackson i don't know if you <laughs> watched the percy jackson movies but i did watch sea of monsters when that came out and it was even worse than the first one so i feel like if they made a sequel i would watch it but i would it would be begrudgingly yeah i mean i have read the percy jackson books at least the first two uh it was like I read them around when they were really, really popular, and that was when I got books from the library. I guess that was a thing that I did in my youth, and <laughs> <laughs> they were always on back order or whatever, so I could never, you know, read the rest of them, and then eventually I grew out of them. But I really liked those books, and I thought that the first movie, at least, was okay. Uh, it's nowhere, you know, it's not great, but it's nowhere at the level of, like, disaster that this one is. Mm -hmm. Um and I actually never saw the sequel now that I think about it. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I would say that, you know, I definitely would not watch a sequel to this movie. I just don't think that <laughs> anything in the movie convinced me that they know what to do with this property. 
I would agree, but like, I guess my hope would be that they would recognize that it was a complete disaster and bring in new writers. And as much as I think Kenneth Branagh has the ability to be a good director, maybe probably a new director as well. How did he direct this? This is like, he's a good director sometimes. I feel like I, like I said with the writers, I just feel like this was in development for so long and nobody knew what to do with the property. And eventually they just felt like they had to throw the movie out there because they'd announced it. And so they just threw it out there. Uh, And this is what we got, I guess. Uh, It it seems like maybe they should have just let it die, but yeah. (laughs) What can you do? Yeah. I mean, I guess, Sending it to Disney Plus is the closest thing to letting it die. Um, one of the things I would say that's, uh, I guess, a positive about the film or not a negative about the film is that the visual effects are not as bad as I thought they would be. I feel like a lot of times in movies like this, they just do a really shoddy job at CGI. And it's not that bad. Like the the underground elf city looks a little bit cooler actually than, you know, the underground train scene in black Panther, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. none of the CGI creations are distractingly bad, except maybe the giant troll looks a little bit wonky, but Mm -hmm. the overall feel of the movie didn't to me feel like a streaming service or like a Disney channel movie or something like that. It, it felt like I could envision seeing this film maybe with 45 additional minutes and completely cleaned up story-wise, but like cinematically it it felt like a film that could be released into theaters. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think the VFX are probably the, like if you look at this in terms of uh, in terms of like a movie that would be released in theaters, I think that the VFX showed that this was developed with the intent to, maybe hopefully make a good movie. Uh, But I do think that beyond the VFX, like production design, costume design, the, the Elf city looks good at a distance when you're first introduced to it. But then once you kind of get up close, they didn't really do anything with it. And I think foul manor is pretty just bland. Uh, So I don't know. I think, and I, and I also think like the lep recon, uh uniforms are hideous and awful but uh, <laughs> what do you think about whatever josh gad is doing in this movie i thought it was going to be more distracting than it ended up being to be honest like everybody was talking about it and he doesn't sound like josh gad but i didn't it didn't throw me off as much as i expected it to yeah that part was definitely a choice by him uh, i don't know why he did it <laughs> he like you know, it's not really I, I wouldn't say that he saves the movie or that he shines in the movie or anything, but he does have a couple lines and moments where I think that, you know, I, I laughed out loud at a base level being stuck in my house um, craving entertainment. So yeah, I the one scene in this movie that I think kind of works on some level is between him and Holly. So take that as you will, I guess. But. It is still really off-putting, I think, when you hear him for the first time. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And then there is one scene where he... So he plays a dwarf. I don't know if this is getting into spoilers, but I don't care. Um, He (laughs) he plays like a, a dwarf that's big or something. And 
I guess dwarves make tunnels. They're called tunnelers. And so the way that in this reality that dwarves tunnel is they eat the dirt. And so he kind of like at one point pulls his mouth open and makes it very large so that he can like nom his way through the ground and (laughs) eat dirt. That scene was batshit crazy enough for me to think that it worked on just like a level of entertainment. I was like, this is, this is fucking stupid, but I think it's, yeah, I liked it. (laughs) No, I completely agree with that. And I think that him unhinging his jaw is the, was one of the most horrifying things I've ever witnessed. (laughs) (laughs) But I like wanted to see it again. And it, it just like, I don't know why that worked in the movie, but I, I wonder even if, like, if this movie was operating on that level the whole time, like it was like, uh, fuck it, we're just going to be really ridiculous and crazy. Maybe on it would just work in terms of like, you're never going to believe what they had these actors do. Because like right now you've got, you know, Dame Judy Dench in this movie and she's doing dumb stuff but it's almost like bland dumb stuff that it's not even exciting to see Mm -hmm. her as the leader of an elf army or whatever she is i don't know um it's almost just like how did you why are you in this movie you're not doing i I agree with that i feel like like josh gad at least leaned in to the hamminess of it and just had fun with it i don't think anyone else did that like Judy Dench or Nanso Ananzi, then I, I just don't think that they, I feel like they played it really straight and didn't have any fun with this role at all. It didn't work. Yeah, not at all. Um, let's hop into some spoilers. I mean, there's not really too much to talk about in this movie because, like we said, it's kind of nonsensical and not even in a good way where we want to try and figure out what happened. It's just like, it just sucks. But yeah, we'll hop into that. Um, Brett, do you want to just give me a score out of 10 and summarize your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm um, uh, maybe two, two out of 10. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I it, It's really bad. And I don't want to be like two out of 10 is like F minus territory because uh, I, I just I do think the 10 point scale is kind of broken because you know, anything six and below is bad pretty much. And yeah. I, I feel like that's unfair. Uh, but yeah, I think that this definitely deserves that, uh, that two out of 10. It's just uh, like we've been saying this whole time. I, I really don't think that there's pretty much a single scene in this movie that works. And even when it's fun, it still doesn't work. Like it's, it's bad, but it's fun in how bad it is. So <laughs> I, I don't know how much more there is to say than that. That's a great way to uh, segue into spoilers. But I will also say that I think I'm going to give this a one and a half. I don't <laughs> I don't know why a one or like I don't really know what the difference between one or two or one and a half is or whatever. But yeah, I mean, this movie just it's not even that nothing works. It's just that like it's not even structured as a movie in the context of what we expect from a movie like the characters are introduced but they're not actually characters they're they're almost just like somebody pasted the characters like a sticker onto an action scene or something and we're just like now this character is in this movie um you know the climax of this movie is 
ridiculous. I, I just nothing nothing works about this movie and it's not even in a way that's like oh you just need to turn your brain off and stop thinking about it it's like you you just there's absolutely no through line in this movie at all so yeah one and a half but like you know give it a zero if you want or 0.5 or two or whatever (laughs) i feel like if you i feel like if you turn your brain off and you try to watch it like there's nothing to enjoy because it's so confusing when you are paying attention to it, that if you aren't paying attention to it, it's just going to be a series of scenes that aren't any fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to think of like some of the worst movies that I've seen while still actually being movies, you know, like the last airbender comes to mind, but mm-hmm. I mean, at least that movie has a plot. And this one just, it doesn't. I mean, technically it does. Yeah, they're getting an egg to free his dad. But, like, they don't tell you anything so you don't ever know what's happening at any given moment. So I, I think we've we've beaten this dead horse quite a bit. So let's just hop yeah. into spoilers for a couple quick things that we can talk about and um, put this thing out of its misery. <laughs> I will say spoilers for Artemis Fowl starting now. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. So is there anything specific that you want to talk about, Brett? Uh, I will say that I have one, like I said, there's one scene that I did like that I thought worked on some level in this, and that was when mulch is being taken to... Howler's Peak or whatever the prison's called. And uh, he has that that short conversation uh, with with Holly and he has a, ban- a little bit of banter back and forth with her. Like, I think that's the one scene where I was like, oh, uh, there's something here. And then it falls apart again after that. But I thought there was a, a little bit of, just because Josh Gad has the funness, I think, to the role, because I don't think that the actress who played Holly was all that great but i think there was a comfortability there um and then you know we got some insight into the into both of their characters without being so expository like the rest of the film is yeah i agree with that i think that's a a fair assessment that that's probably one of the highlights of the film um other than when he unhinges his jaw and turns (laughs) into some demented monster thing is that the scene where he talks about how he's like a big dwarf? Yeah. I I don't know what that is. Because okay. in the book, he's just a dwarf. Like he's not, there's nothing weird about him. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask if that was a book thing or, because it was never paid off in the movie. Uh, he screams Giganticus Dwarfus or something before he <laughs> eats into the earth or whatever. Uh-huh. But I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. I thought maybe... Having recently read the books, you would have known what that was, but uh-uh. no, that's nothing. <laughs> okay, um, okay. How about the time freeze? Is that a thing in the the books? Yes, the time freeze is a thing in the books, and I don't know why they made it the way they made it in the movie. Uh, but like, essentially, how it works in the book is you get this area, and everything that happens inside the area can still move around, but uh, it's all stuck in this one moment. So it, nobody, nobody freezes or anything like what happens at the troll scene at, at, 
at the beginning of this film where they do the first time step, nobody freezes. They just keep on doing what they're doing. It's just contained within this time field. Uh, and when the time field breaks down, like nothing happens in the book because the book is like the reason that there's a threat because of the time field is that the elves are going to use a bomb that will kill everyone that's inside the time field. But the idea is that if you're inside the time field, then like it will only happen at that instant in time. So mm. when you're outside of the time field, it doesn't affect anything. That's essentially what its point is in the book. Uh, but I don't know. They made it extremely complicated in the movie and uh, don't know why. Yeah. So because it's almost inconsistent how it works in the movie, because in the first time freeze, it seems that like whatever happens inside the radius of the time freeze stands still except for magical users or something, right? And so Holly can move around mm -hmm. and, you know, wrestle the, the big troll or whatever. But then in the second time it happens, everything outside the time freeze freezes, and then they can just go about their mission or whatever inside the the bubble. Um, so, so you mentioned that... So in, in the... I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. It's probably more effort <laughs> than it's worth, but... Yeah. In the book, uh, there's a bomb so that if the time thing collapses before the bomb goes off, then the bomb would go off everywhere, and that would be bad. Well, yeah. The, okay, so Artemis has a line in the movie where he says, like, nobody can enter this house while I'm alive. And so that's kind of the crux of it in the book is the while I'm alive. Uh -huh. And so then they decide that they're going to use this bomb and kill him so that they can enter the house but in the movie they latch on to the elves can't enter and then the dwarf thing does but judy dench <laughs> has the line where she repeats it back to him so i don't know it doesn't make any sense in the in the movie anyway uh but uh it's so it's so hard to explain because i don't want to just be like oh here's what happened in the book and here's what happened in the movie but like right it, essentially yeah there's just a the time field just contains the bomb essentially is what their okay. what its purpose is so that it doesn't affect anyone who's at a different moment in time okay if that makes sense yeah so well then what is with the whole collapsing in the movie this this time freeze is like it starts becoming unstable and if it's becomes too unstable then something happens but it seems like nothing actually happens yeah it doesn't seem like it actually hurt anyone but they were all worried about it, but it didn't seem like anyone actually got hurt by it. But yeah, I agree with that. It, I don't know. I, I just feel like the film didn't didn't have didn't understand its own rules. Like it didn't know what it was trying to do. And I mean, that is definitely like one of the most damning things in a fantasy world is when it can't establish its own rules and follow what's going on. I mean, even in terms of just the things that make this you know that makes artemis's plan theoretically so clever that like elves can't enter houses and he's doing that on purpose so that he sent they send the the dwarf thing in um none of that is actually explained like are are we just to assume that 
that's how magic works. Like he said, a magical spell on the house that prevents the elves from going in or like there's some mention of magical law or something like none of that is remotely clear. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's the big thing here is like, there are so many things that happen, especially at the climax of this movie that don't make any sense because they explained the wrong things throughout the rest of the film. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the climatic moments of this film is some unnamed man deciding to disobey somebody who says that you can't turn the magic back on in the house and just yelling to the elves to turn the magic back on. Yeah. Am I reading that correctly? Like, I don't know. I don't know either, but yes, that is true. There's just a random character who's disobeys orders and it's like, all right, you are not in the rest of this movie. (laughs) Judy Dench has a line to this character. That's like, Oh, I made you captain for a reason. Uh, what, what does that even mean? You know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a point where we could just like in take every single scene of this movie and, and, uh, talk shit about it, but that's not super productive. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Like I could, I could literally, we could literally sit here for hours probably and go scene by scene and just explain why they're terrible. But what does that do? Yeah, nobody watched this. Well, actually, I don't know. Do did a lot of people watch this? Um, maybe people are just that thirsty for content that maybe a ton of people have seen Artemis Fowl and they're dying to listen to the spoiler content of a review of it. I, I do feel like there was some like people seemed to watch it and couldn't understand why they were doing it. Like I kept seeing on Twitter, like for some reason, I'm now watching Artemis Fowl. Like I kept seeing people posting that. Um, so uh, maybe it got a little bit of a following. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how many people watched it versus how many people would have watched it if, uh, theaters were open and this went in. Um, I mean, I'd be willing to bet that more people watched it than would have gone to yeah, the theaters. I, I can it. almost guarantee more people watched it on Disney plus than of in the theaters. There's no way I would have watched this three times in the theater. <laughs> I would have been livid if I paid money and, or even just like used two hours plus commuter rail time to get to the theater for this and yeah oh <laughs> the the one other thing that i want to talk a little bit about is this character uh whose name is dom i think he dies in this movie sort of kind of and this movie has the guts to think that there is some sort of emotional weight to this scene and it's played like that and it was at that moment where i was like oh this movie really didn't do anything to set anything up. Like, I feel like I have no idea who this character is. Not only that, I don't know any of the characters who are mourning over this character's death. Is this like a prominent character in the books, the Butler character? Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a major character in the books. I mean, he's in all of them. Uh, so like his role is, is sort of as this paternal figure almost to Artemis because in the books you don't even see his father until the very end of the second one and so uh yeah so he's sort of this paternal character who's like the moral guiding light for artemis in some ways and uh yeah in the movie he has basically no role at all he shoots this one really cool like energy bow and arrow that i thought was awesome but <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, in the books, when he 
like in the book, he fights the troll one on one in a suit of armor. And I feel like that would have been way cooler than the scene that we got. You didn't like the chandelier swinging of the troll? No, I thought it was really <laughs> stupid, actually, because like it just kept going back to this same thing where they kept jumping onto this chandelier. And I didn't understand what was supposed to be accomplished by any of the actions that they were taking. Yeah, I mean, that is just the ultimate problem with this movie is that none of the <laughs> actions have any sense of actually doing anything to what's going on. Like, whatever. I think we can probably end it there. Is there anything else that you want to mention in spoilers? Uh, No, I think I think I'm good. I think we've I, I feel almost a little bad for talking down on this movie as much as I did and getting as heated. But like at the same time this was a property that was very nostalgic for me uh, because I did read these books as a younger person. Uh, and like, it wasn't my Harry Potter cause I didn't really get into Harry Potter, but this was sort of like a, a supplement mm -hmm. in that way. And uh, you know, everybody got their eight Harry Potter books and I, you know, I, I liked Percy Jackson and the Percy Jackson movies were bad. I liked, uh, the last apprentice and there was a movie called seventh son and that movie was bad and then artemis fowl is probably the worst of them all and uh it just feels like i can't have nice things but uh. <laughs> i'm sorry hopefully hopefully the netflix series of percy jackson is solid um but yeah the, the musical's not bad oh i didn't even know there was a musical that's cool um yeah i mean I think the kind of biggest sin about this movie is that it in no way makes me want to read the Artemis Fowl books, which is an absolute shame. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's go ahead and move to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Uh, Brett, what have you been watching? Uh, so thankfully, the rest of what I've been watching lately has been higher quality. <laughs> uh, <than laughs> Almost by Fowl. default. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but so I just watched The Five Bloods, and I know you uh, just reviewed that with Colby. And mm -hmm. uh, I guess I'm going to plug your review, but I really enjoyed listening to your review of that uh, with Colby. Oh, thank you. So that I uh, I really enjoyed The Five Bloods, uh, but I'm actually <laughs> uh, going to be on another podcast later tonight, and we're going to be doing a an Oscars revisited of the. 2013 film year um so like 12 years of slave one best picture that year uh so today i've actually watched uh i watched gravity i watched philomena philomena i don't know how you pronounce that yeah, i don't know uh, and i watched you know i watched four of the films that were nominated for best picture uh that year today so um i've i've had uh a little bit better of a, of a watching experience than Artemis Fowl going forward. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I don't want to spoil the podcast or anything, but uh, what do you think should have won Best Picture? Like, uh, do you think 12 Years a Slave was the best movie that year? Uh, I don't think 12 Years a Slave was the best movie that year. Um, I think the best movie that year wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. And I don't know how it wasn't nominated. I legitimately thought that it was nominated for best picture uh, until i looked at the list and it wasn't there but 
Um, I think Inside Lewin Davis was the best movie that year. Oh. Yeah, I think that, but at the same time, I think, like, I understand, I would understand the win still for 12 Years a Slave anyway. Like, even if Inside Lewin Davis was in that field, I would understand 12 Years a Slave getting that win. So I, I don't, like, it's not one that I'm upset about, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's a very important film. It's it's not one that I particularly love either. You know, actually, of the two Steve McQueen films I've seen, the other one being, uh, what was that one that came out like two years ago? Widows? Yeah, Widows. Thank you. Like, I, I haven't loved either of his films, um, but I, I certainly think that that is a type of film, uh, 12 Years a Slave, specifically, that is just so epic in scope that it's almost hard not to award it. Um, on an award mm-hmm. like best best film or best picture or whatever, so it'll be into uh, what podcast is that that you're on? Um, it's the Music City Drive-In. Oh, cool! I'll be sure to uh, check out for that. So uh, yeah, I you know you you watched some Academy Award nominated films. I <laughs> watched some films that are of equal caliber. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend and I, we recently found ourselves in a position where we just really wanted to watch this kind of like mindless and inconsequential comfort f- movies, uh, you know, movies that had no bad things happening in them. So we switched on Disney plus and we were like, oh, let's rewatch some of these Disney channel movies. Um, Brett, I don't know how versed you are in the Disney channel movies. Was this something that you watched as a kid? Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't watch either of these movies, okay. <laughs> uh, but I did watch Disney Channel movies. But no, I uh, if I've seen them, I don't remember them at all. Okay. So uh, the first movie that we watched was uh, Hannah Montana, the movie. This is the movie based on the TV show Hannah Montana, which is, of course, the show where Miley Cyrus plays Miley Stewart, very cleverly named character. Uh, she is a young girl who lives a double life as a pop star called Hannah Montana. And, um, yeah, this ran for 98 episodes for five years, five seasons. And honestly, I I watched it a lot. Um, I'll keep my age vague. So it doesn't like, it's not embarrassing how old I was (laughs) when I watched this, but I was definitely older than I should have been when I was watching this, uh, really bad sitcom on uh, Disney channel. But you know, so this this movie is it was actually not released on Disney Channel. It was released into theaters, and it's kind of about her being spoiled by the Hollywood lifestyle as this pop star. So her dad, who is Billy Ray Cyrus, her actual dad in real life, brings her to her hometown in Tennessee, and there's like you know summer shenanigans and stuff. And one of the things that struck me about this film, I, I will say that like you know for what it is, it's fine. Um, it's like a dumb movie, but. You know, it's called Hannah Montana, the movie. It's cute. And the music is catchy if you're okay with Disney pop songs. Um, But there's a lot of things that happen in this movie that are like either borderline reckless in terms of like endangering other people or just kind of being (laughs) a shitty person. And like one of them is that there's this reporter or this kind of paparazzi guy that tries to follow her to this town and find out what Hannah Montana's big secret is or whatever this is way longer than anybody's talked about this movie on a podcast. Probably. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't count on that. You know what? That's probably true. There are millions of podcasts. Um, <laughs> but so to kind of like get one over on this paparazzi dude, she like opens the back hood of a truck and just has a whole bunch of 
almonds or walnuts or whatever fall down the road and then he like steps on them and slips and whatever. And it's supposed to be this silly thing, but like somebody was going to sell all of those almonds at a store and now they're just all over the floor. That's somebody's livelihood that like she just screwed over for this silly little physical prank where the dude probably could have gotten pretty hurt. Yeah, speaking of the the last airbender, that reminds me of the the cabbage merchant. Yeah, <laughs> this was a, a real life cabbage merchant that he he just got screwed over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't really have much to say about this movie. Else, honestly, um, Mitchell Musso is not in the movie, which is a crime. He was one of my favorite parts of the show. But like, you know, for a Disney Plus tv movie or whatever it is like it it's fine and it actually does feel like a movie that should be released into cinema um margo martindale is in this for some reason so Hmm. that's interesting and then so is melora harding who plays jan in the office and she's actually like a good character in this so it's really weird to see her not playing somebody that you're supposed to like really dislike but yeah so there's my two cents on Hannah Montana, the movie. I'm sure everybody wanted to hear that. The other one, the second film that we watched that night was Camp Rock 2, The Final Jam. Did you watch either of these two Disney Channel movies? Uh, I definitely saw the first one. I don't know if I saw the second one. Do you have like warm feelings for this movie or what's your stance on this? Um... I I don't I don't even remember what my feelings were <laughs> to to be honest. I don't remember disliking it necessarily. I think that there was like the music was fine maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. What did you think when you saw that these were the movies that I was planning on talking about? Were you like, "Oh shit." Or <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> um well, I was definitely interested to know what if Artemis Fowl was still the worst movie you watched this week. Oh, so. oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, like the thing is with movies like this is like, yeah, sure, they're bad, but they also are just striving for something so incredibly different than any type of other movie that is, I mean, like there's there's something almost just like inconsequential about this movie that it's like, no matter how bad it is, you can kind of write it off. Um, as just being like, well, this is just entertainment for the sake of entertainment in a way that I feel like Artemis Fowl was literally trying to do something. And it's not like the Hannah Montana movie is directed by Broadway actor Kenneth Branagh. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it doesn't have Dame Judy Dench in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I think what's interesting about the Camp Rock, so this is the movie that kind of started jump-started the career of Demi Lovato and there's also the Jonas Brothers in it um mm-hmm. and I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid uh, the first one and the second one like these were just you know something that I would turn on in the afternoon or I would turn Disney Channel on and it would be playing in the afternoon after uh, school and you know watching this movie made me reflect on a couple things the first one being how impossible it is to assess something that you have nostalgia for you know like if you hadn't seen this movie and I showed it to you now, you you would not be able to be like, yeah, that was good. <laughs> and I can still look at this film and say, yeah, it was it's bad and, you know, the acting's poor and the plot is silly or whatever, but like some part of me I just liked watching it. It was just comforting in a way that like 
even more so than Disney movies where you, um, you know, where like you may have a lot of fondness for something like the Lion King, but it's still a good movie. So it's a lot easier to talk about, but this movie, it's just something about it just makes me feel warm watching it. Uh, I don't know what to, Good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) you don't have to say anything. Um, The one other thing that I thought was interesting was that the Jonas Brothers are in this and it made me reflect on how the Jonas Brothers are incredibly unproblematic in everything that they've done. You know, they didn't have that like crazy phase after Disney Channel stuff. They just like one of them is just was 30 when everything was going on and he just got married. Uh And then the other one is married to Sophie Turner and the other one is married to Priyanka Chopra. Good for them. They're just doing things. So yeah, that's true. And Demi Lovato, on the other hand, uh, has had a very tumultuous ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. But I mean, she has in her own way also just kind of broken out of like, I don't think many people associate her with Disney channel anymore. Um, yeah, that's even more so than somebody like uh, Miley Cyrus, who I think is still kind of trying to, drastically shake off the uh, whole Disney Channel thing. But yeah, so anyways, I mean, these are both on Disney Plus. Give them a go if you want. That's that's really all I got (laughs) to say about it. (laughs) So this has been our review of Artemis Fowl. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I really appreciated that you were well-versed and knowledged in Artemis Fowl. I think it made the conversation a lot more substantial than just saying this movie sucks. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, uh, I really enjoy your podcast, so it's great to be on it. Uh, that's different and fun. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, of course, I would love to have you back on whenever there's some other movie that you feel like talking about. But um, is there anything specific that you'd like to plug here? You know, just go subscribe to Bohan Reviews on YouTube. Um, I just did another podcast uh, with, Mashley at the movies. We talked about the vast of night. And then, like I said earlier, I'm doing the Music City Drive In uh, pod, uh, the 2014 Oscars res- retrospective. So, uh, yeah. So you're everywhere. Sweet. I will provide the links to all of that in the show notes so that you can check out more of Brett's work. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And of course, we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by James from Munson's at the Movies to talk about the Judd Apatow film, The King of Staten Island. Uh, Retrospectively, probably should have talked about that one when it was closer to the release. Did not think Artemis Fowl would be quite as much of a dud as it was, but uh, (laughs) here we are. So stay tuned for that. Um, Until then, bye. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. 
Com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com.